Well, good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's so great to be able to be here, and I'm just excited for what God is doing in our church and what God has in store for us this morning. If you've been tracking with us the last couple of weeks, we have been working our way through a Practicing the Way of Jesus series by focusing on the practice of God's presence. And so we're going to continue that this morning. But I do want to, I want to point us back towards this past week and just to celebrate the work that God was doing in our week of prayer. It was amazing to gather together throughout the day, virtually using Zoom, and to know that we are praying together and for each other and even praying as individuals as we go out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, or even just simply being a godly presence within our homes. And so I want to celebrate that and also excited for the weeks to come in the midst of the lockdown, in the midst of just the, up, the upside-downness of our world right now, and to be able to have this as a resource is incredibly meaningful and powerful for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. Uh, so, as I said, we are right in the middle of practicing uh, a series on practicing God's presence. And so what we've been looking at over the last couple weeks are ways in which we can practice the manifest personal presence of God in our lives. How do we live with an intimacy and a connection and an awareness to God who is active and present in our worlds and in our lives? This morning, we are going to be focusing on the practice of silence and solitude. Now, two different words, but, but in many ways very much united, sharing all kinds of similarities, and it's really hard to just talk about one without talking about the other. So this morning, we are going to be talking about silence and solitude. And let me just simply say this. We are in the midst of a province-wide lockdown. Most of us hardly even leave our homes right now. Um, the, the irony that we are looking at this right now could not be more significant to me. The, the topic of silence and solitude. I know for many within our community, this topic seems, I mean, if you're talking about it on the scale, it somewhere is between redundant or just insensitive. And before we dive into this, I want to simply address knowing that there are people within our community who are struggling with the silence and struggling with being alone. Uh, Maybe you live on your own, you are by yourself, or maybe you are in a household where you may as well be living alone Or maybe you simply live in a household where there is a tension, where there is conflict, where there is something going on that it just feels like, oh, this is just, it's better to be off by myself. And there is this this feeling within you that things are not right. And so just simply to talk about the practice of silence and solitude just feels tone deaf and out of touch. One of the things that I've been learning as I've been studying and, and even wrestling with this in my own life about what does it mean to live and to practice a life where there is solitude and silence is, is this awareness that first off, you can be totally silent and you can be all by yourself, but that does not mean that you are practicing silence and solitude as God wants you to. In the same way, that you can be an incredibly crowded and noisy place. And yet you can still be practicing silence and solitude in your life. 
And so for us, the practice of solitude and silence is more than just at the end of the day when you finally finished all your work or you finally got the kids down and you just sit down and kind of collapse on the couch, whatever your end of your day looks like for you. It's about more than that. It's about more than being alone. It's about more than being quiet. Rather, the type of silence and solitude that we are exploring today is when we fix our hearts and minds on God and create space within our lives to connect with him. Our series is called Practicing the Way of Jesus, or that's the subtitle for this series. And if you go and you're to read through the Gospels, one thing that, that struck me as incredibly profound and significant as I was re- been reading through them more recently is how often Jesus retreats from the crowds, how often he retreats even from his, the group of the disciples around him, and he is gone and goes and finds a place of uh, solitude and silence with his Father. Jesus has this perfect, intimate, loving relationship with his Father, and he is constantly finding moments to go off and to seek out quiet places where he can be alone with his Father. If you were to go through and read through just a brief, quick survey, this is not exhaustive by any means, but uh, if you were to go, significant moments in Jesus' life, again and again we find that they all begin with Jesus' finding places to be silent and to be alone, to going to the quiet places as it's often translated. If you go to Matthew chapter four, Jesus is about to begin his ministry and it talks about the spirit sending him into the wilderness for 40 days of solitude and silence. If you go to Luke chapter six, I think it's verse 12, uh, just before Jesus is going to pick the disciples, it says this, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And so Jesus has to make some serious decisions coming up. There's significant ministry things happening, coming up for him, a significant milestone, and he finds himself out alone in solitude, in silence, praying to God. If you go to Matthew chapter 14, Uh, you will find, again, another example of Jesus going off into solitude. Chapter 14, verse 13. This is just before Jesus feeds the 5,000, a significant, like, greatest hits miracle for Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So Jesus is just found out about the beheading of John the Baptist, and he draws away, he finds a solitary place where he can be alone and just connect with his father. If you go to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, don't worry, I'm not going to do this the entire sermon, but I just wanted to show that the depth, the significant amount of times. Uh, Jesus, again, he's had a day of busy healing. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And even as Jesus is about to face the cross in Matthew chapter 26, it tells us that he went off, he took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane here, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. We talk about Jesus having this perfect, I mean, Jesus being the perfect union of God, of the divine, and humanity. 
we see this intimate, connected, shared relationship that he has with his father, which is beautiful and something that we are all invited into and to experience as we commit our lives in faith to Jesus. And it's beautiful and it's amazing, and yet so rarely do we create space and time in our lives for the practice of silence in solitude. I love actually in Mark chapter 6, which is the verse I kind of want to hunker down on today. Chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus, he calls his disciples and he says, where are we? And he says this, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so Jesus, this intimate relationship that he shares with his father, this desire to be alone with his father is one that he invites his disciples into as well. And yet very rarely do we as Christians today, take up this practice. Rarely is it something that we make a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, changing gears. I want want to tell you about this thing called the Anechoic Chamber. It's located in Building 87 at the Microsoft headquarters in Washington. And it is officially the world's quietest place that exists outside of a vacuum. And so if you were to go into it, they spent millions and millions of dollars on developing this place. And essentially the idea of it is to create a room that is so quiet that they can then test their different equipment, different uh, products that they're designing and see if there's any sound that they are making. This room can reach, uh, has eliminated background noise up to the point where you can hear things at negative 20.6 decibels. Uh, Just to put a few things in perspective, a whisper is around 30 decibels. Your breathing registers at about 10 decibels. The human ear can hear things around zero decibels. But just because we can't hear it doesn't mean that there aren't sounds and pitches that are happening. And so this can actually register to negative 20.6 decibels. It took two years to build, and it involves six concrete layers, each one about 12 inches thick. There's six different, like, like an onion. There are just all of these different walls and you keep moving further and further in until you finally get to the cube chamber, which is lined with 40, uh, four foot long uh, foam uh, insulation that helps reduce all kinds of sound and echo from bouncing around in the room. They have a specially designed air conditioning and sprinkler system. And the, actually the cube itself is, is is held up by 65 different special springs so that the the, the actual room, it moves all into itself. So if there's shaking in the ground outside or something happening in a room outside, the room does not pick up on any of the vibrations. And when you are in there, you would think that this would be the most peaceful place. I mean, they're actually a jet can be taking off outside of the building, like right next to it, and you would barely, maybe not even be able to hear it at all when you are within the chamber. You would think this would be one of the most peaceful, tranquil places that you can find. And yet, according to the creator of the man who built this room, his name is LaSalle Monroe, he says that that is not the case at all. 
Um, that it's actually a place that makes many people uncomfortable. Let me read you this quote from an article um, about the room. He says this, Some people want out within a few seconds. They say that they just can't be in there. It unsettles almost everybody. They can hear people breathing on the other side of the room and hear stomachs gurgling. A small number of people say that they feel dizzy. Now, interestingly enough, some of the other sounds that they say, you can hear bodies digesting food. You can hear your heart beating. They actually talk about you can hear the blood pumping through your body, and you can hear your eyes moving around in your head. Uh, He goes on to say this, the longest I've seen someone stay inside um, is for an hour, and that was to raise money for charity. I think if you spent too much time in there, you would drive yourself crazy. There's something interesting about silence. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you, the day is done, you can sit down, there's no more noise, and it can be refreshing. But, but then there are these moments where it just is uncomfortable, and it can bring up these feelings of dread. I remember a number of years working in youth ministry, and there was always these moments of you'd ask a question to a group of students, and there was that awkward silence, no response. And then there would always be that one kid who would just chime in and go, awkward. And the part of you is going, well, why did you have to point it out? But it's true. There is something about silence that can make us all feel so uncomfortable. There's something that can be scary or terrifying when we are in silence and when we are all alone. There are two things that I want to point out about why I think that silence and solitude can make us feel so uncomfortable, why these are practices that for many of us we we don't want to include into our daily lives. The first one is justification. Let me explain what I mean with that. I was talking with a friend who studied journalism, this is a number of years ago, and one of the things that we were talking about uh, was the process of interviewing, and how do you get a really good interview? And I remember my friend said something that he had learned in in journalism school and in his experience, and he was sharing how if you want to get a great interview with someone, you have to not be afraid of silence. Now, this struck me as kind of, what, I don't really get it. I mean, I'm listening to interviews on the radio or, or on podcasts, and it always seems to me that, like, the, the silence is the thing that you don't want. There's that awkward, like, pause and, oh, what's going on? You don't want dead space. And he said, no, no, the thing is, is that when you're interviewing someone, often they will come in with their guard they're going to be there and they're, they're going to want to make sure that they have their certain agenda that they want to communicate and share and say. And so what you want to do is you want to try and get them a little bit off kilter. And, and the tendency within a new journalist or a new person who's new to interviewing people is that you want to rush in and fill the silences because it's uncomfortable and it leaves that like space of, am I doing a good job? And oh, I'm not doing a good job interviewing this person. I need to keep the conversation going. But he said the good interviewer isn't afraid of those silences because what happens is that the person you're interviewing they feel uncomfortable with the silence too they want to be a good interviewee and so when you are comfortable and you let that space just sit there that's when they go in and the wall starts to come down they don't think about everything through the filter and they just start to share and that's where you get the good stuff. 
It's interesting how so many of us can feel that obligation to go in and fill those spaces of silence. And I think so often the reason why we are so uncomfortable with silence is that we use our words to justify ourselves. As we hear ourselves speaking and talking, we, we are communicating to the people who hear us and we are communicating to ourselves that I matter, that I'm important, that I know what's going on. I love this quote from um, uh, Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline. One reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. But we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. Silence is one of the deepest disciplines of the spirit simply because it puts the stopper on all self-justification. I think all of us have had experiences where we've heard someone who's just talking and talking and talking, but they're not actually saying anything. I know that's something that's been true in my life, how often I will rush in to try and fill an answer or fill a spot or, or give a, a, a funny quib or whatever it is to think that I'm just kind of need to interject myself into the conversation because I want to assert the fact that I matter and that I'm significant. I want to justify my presence. And silence takes that away from us. And as we enter into the presence of God, as we place ourselves before God and we say, God, I want to be silent before you, we are stopping with our own self-justification. We are putting an end to us trying to talk about ourselves or even trying to make ourselves practical or useful and simply saying, God, I realize I'm useless, yet would you speak to me? I love throughout Jesus' ministry, and it's easy to think, I think of watching shows where there's a political race and you see the candidate going around and meeting people and they've got their assistants who are going through their schedule and talking about all the things that they have to do. And I, I often wonder if that was ever something like what Jesus, or at least the pressure that Jesus felt, all the different people he had to go and talk to, all the people who were clamoring for his attention, who wanted him to heal them, all the people who had their agendas they were bringing to him. And yet throughout Jesus' ministry, he's able to push pause on those things. He looks away from those things. Actually, instead of being drawn to the people of power, he's drawn to the people who are struggling and hurting. And throughout his ministry, he is able to say at various times, no, I'm not going to do that today. I need to go and be with my father. And, and I often wonder if, if Jesus sought out silence and solitude. Uh, I, or I say this, I think the question is, is did Jesus search out silence and solitude because, with his father because he needed it or because he wanted it? And I think if you were to answer the question, at least in my interpretation as I read through the Gospels, the answer is yes. Both of those things are true. Jesus, being fully human, needed his intimate relationship with his father, and at the same time, it was all that he wanted it, drove him, and, and it was what um, filled him and sustained him. 
Now, one of the things that we can often stumble into is we can talk about, we can talk about the issue of solitude and silence as being something in opposition to community and relationship. But if you look throughout Jesus' ministry, he's always doing both. He's moving out to moments of silence, but that again throws him back into his relationships and his compassion for other people. And his compassion and care and his relationships propel him out into solitude. These two things are always working hand in hand. And I love this quote from Thomas Merton. He writes this, It is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness, gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers for what they are, not for what they say. So I think that we avoid silence and solitude so often because of our need to self-justify ourselves, our actions, our existence. But I think the other thing that we struggle with is distraction. We live in something that is often referred to as the attention economy. Everything is vying for our attention. Keep scrolling, keep clicking, keep watching that next show on that streaming service. They know that they need to keep us watching, reading, looking. And what they do is they appeal to our base or kind of the hot emotions. It's always about big and spectacle. It's about provocative. It's about noisy. It's about loud. It's the things that, that appeal to our anger or, our, our, or, our, our, um, or fear or lust or all sorts of different things to grab and hold on to our attention. And we are being programmed, in a sense, our, our operating system is being rewritten or certainly taken advantage of. And for many of us, we find we live our lives just jumping from the next big, over-the-top headline to the next. We find ourselves constantly drawn to spectacle and to noise. First Kings Chapter 19, there's a prophet named Elijah and he has gone and been saying some hard truths to the people of Israel, specifically to the king and queen of Israel. And he finds himself in this difficult place where he feels like he is all alone. The king and queen are angry. They want to kill him. He's run off. He is hiding in a cave. And to pick up, uh, pick up the story, I want to read this passage. 1 Kings 19, 9, 12, 9 to 12. And the word of the Lord came to him. So this is Elijah, scared, terrified for his life, feeling like he's all by himself. Here's what God says. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I would argue that We've been so conditioned to constantly be seeking out the next, uh, the next spectacle, the next big special effect, the next big thing. And yet so often, 
God is actually speaking to us in a whisper. And as we create space in our lives, as we push out the distractions and the noise and we silence ourselves and we commit ourselves to being alone with God, we discover that God is speaking to us. I would actually argue, I've found in, in, as we navigate these difficult times, specifically for the Christian faith in North America, where it seems like numbers are dwindling and the future seems so uncertain. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this particular time and age? And we see people walking away from the faith that they were raised in. And I can't help but think that so often we put all the energy in apologetics and making sure they think and believe all the right things. But, but maybe the thing that we are actually being called to is to first be directing them towards silence and to solitude. I would argue that that actually might be one of the most defining traits of healthy spirituality in our current age. Those of us who are so secure in our relationship with God that we intentionally create space and seek out time with God so that we might be more aware of God's presence in our lives. I return back to Mark chapter 6, verse 31. This is a verse we looked at a little bit earlier. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The invitation that Jesus gives to us all is to put aside our desire, our need to justify ourselves, to to clear out the distractions that so easily cloud our hearts and our minds, and rather to fix our hearts and minds on God. And as we create that space in our lives, we can trust that God will fill it. Now this morning, I want to give you a list of some things that I've been thinking about or reflecting on in my life as I try to practice God's presence through silence and solitude. These are some of the things that I just kind of call this the reality of seeking God's presence in silence and solitude. And so these, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, but I hope that this is helpful for you as you begin to practice this. I think this gets into kind of some nitty-gritty stuff, some things that might be helpful um, and to help, um, help lead you and guide you if this is something, a practice that I would encourage you to pursue in your life. And so here are some of them. They're going to be up on the, on the screen as well, but I want to read them to you. Number one, at times it might feel unproductive and boring. Keep going. At times it might feel like, oh, I could be doing so much more and I've got this and this and this to do and, and is, is anything really happening? And instead, stop the worrying. Do your best to clear out your mind. Keep on going. Number two, quieting the, the chatter in our mind takes practice. Keep going. For some of us, it's just really hard. There's so much going on up here. Some of us, it's easy. It's like, yes, that's easy to do. But for some of us, it's challenging and it's difficult. And just give yourself a lot of grace. Keep on going. Don't give up. Number three, there will be interruptions. Give yourself and the people interrupting lots of grace. Even Jesus, throughout his ministry, There are various different times where he is going off to be in solitude and to be alone in silence with his father 
and the crowd finds him. And his response is always compassion. If even Jesus struggled at times to get away from people, please realize that might be true in your life as well. Give yourself lots of grace and give others lots of grace. Number four, make it a ritual in your daily life. Uh, when I say ritual, I mean one, like set a time if possible each day that you know you're going to do it. It doesn't need to be a long amount of time. And are there concrete actions that you can do that will set that experience apart. Maybe it's when you wake up in the morning and you go over and you get your coffee and you sit down, you open the Bible up, you read a psalm, you meditate on a passage of scripture and you just simply just say, God, what are you saying to me? And you just know that you have got your coffee there with you. Uh, for me, I actually light a candle and it's just a reminder to me that whether it's boring and productive or whether it's just this intimate connection with God, that God is present there. And so as I'm starting my time, I light the candle and when I'm done, I blow the candle out. Make it a ritual. Number five, um, invest in a material Bible or analog Bible. Um, go, go old school, like use the old paper copy. The reason why is that your phone or your iPad or whatever it is, device that you're, your tablet, whatever it is that you're using, those things are designed to get you to keep on using them. And there are some amazing, incredible Bible resources on there. And, and it's an amazing tool to have. But, but I would challenge you, I'd say, you know what, you can keep that off. Create a special time to just read the scripture um, where you don't have notifications popping up. There isn't just that red circle with the white number of emails showing up or you're not seeing messages come in. This allows you to be fully present, to actually be disconnected from the people around you and to be fully present in solitude with God. Number six, you will get distracted. Okay, that is a reality you will face. Recenter yourself and keep on going. If you're to go actually and read through the church fathers and mothers, these, these incredible authorities on prayer and meditation and, and being silent and present with God and in solitude, one thing that often they will have is just a refrain that they will say that will refocus them. When their mind begins to wander, uh, one of the famous ones that I've heard is, Lord, make haste to help me. It's like, Lord, quickly come, help me. And so it's this cry out to God to redirect your thoughts, your focus, and your attention. And so maybe that's something you want to say, or maybe you don't want something so old English. Uh, or maybe the better thing would be just to simply to use the, what the prophet Samuel was told to say, which is, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And as you sit in silence, as you feel your mind begin to wander, once you become aware that it has wandered, just simply say that again, and it will recenter you. Two more. Number seven, make a physical space that you do it. Maybe there's a specific part. Maybe there's a chair in your office. Maybe there's a chair in your home. Uh, Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he talks about a family that had the quiet chair. And when you would go and sit in that chair, it meant that that was a time that you needed to be quiet and you were just connecting with God. Maybe there's a room in your house. Maybe there's, and maybe it's not in your house. Maybe it's somewhere you go. And you just know every day you're going to walk. And as you're, once you reach this part, that is time that you are committing to God. Finally, number eight, you might not always like what God has to say but it will always be what you need to hear. Sometimes that time of silence, it's going to bring up difficult and painful truths about yourself. And my encouragement is to keep on going. 
because God is working in the midst of that. As we experience God's presence through the practice of silence and solitude, we begin to move from finding silence and solitude to being awkward and uncomfortable, maybe even boring, and it becomes a blessing and something that we can experience with joy. And while silence and solitude might often feel completely unproductive or a total waste of time, as we begin to do it, we begin to see how the time alone and the time in quiet with God begins to change us and transform us. That we begin to grow in intimacy with God and that his heart becomes more and more present in our hearts as our desires begin to change and be conformed to the desires of Jesus. I want to return to a quote from LaSalle Monroe, the guy who built and runs that, uh, th- that uh, sound chamber that I was telling you about earlier on. He says this, After being in the room for a very long time, when you open the door, it is almost like a waterfall of sound hitting your ears. It is like stepping out into a different world. You hear things that you wouldn't normally notice. It gives you a perspective. I love that line. You hear things that you wouldn't normally notice. As we set aside, as we create space to to practice the presence of God through solitude and silence, we will begin to hear things differently. We will have our hearing and our hearts fine-tuned with a richer awareness and perception for God and for what he is doing in this world. Jesus invites us, he invited his disciples, and he invites you and me to come with him by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Amen.